Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Hot. We a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Robin Koch of the podcast. Better than nothing, I suppose, and well worth a crude joke. And I'm joined by the Rodrigo Moreno of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. Getting on a bit, but well worth a contract on the off chance he comes good. And finally, the John Kevin Augustan legal battle of the podcast, spoken about in hushed tones and best approached using a lawyer. <laughs> it's only Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I uh, dug out my 94-95 shirt in tribute to the new one, but when I got it out of the wardrobe, the first thing I thought was, God, this is really missing a big fucking JD <laughs> sports logo on the sleeve, so I'm going to have to um, you know, fashion something out of a mm. bit of old bin bag and, and white paper. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Woodhead, I can't imagine that you're a great fan of the uh, JD sleeve accoutrement. No, I mean it. It does really look like they've not thought about it, doesn't it? Like, like the colouring and everything. Uh, the, the the amazing thing I found was that uh, the club are saying, "Oh, if anyone's unhappy about the fact they bought a shirt before it had this monstrosity on it, they can <laughs> bring it into the club shop and get it slapped on." Like, is there, is there, anyone would choose that option? Is the opposite available to get the shirt without that? monstrosity on it probably a, s- a small amount of acid will get rid of it <laughs> it looks a little bit like you know those you, the things you used to put in the back of your car like a car window sticker it, it does it almost looks like jd sports had a load of those lying around and they were like you know we could probably go on to use these just stick on the sh- sleeve of the shirt and... there is absolutely no design reason why it should be black and even you know, i know nothing about design but i know that well it's the fact that we look like we're playing for jd united with sponsorship from <laughs> Leeds united <laughs> bothers me but there we go <laughs> yeah how are you two feeling about the the exhaustion that is the the summer? How are you feeling, Darren, about all of this constant argumentation that we have uh, to have about whether or not Rodrigo is too old, whether or not we've got enough centre backs, whether or not Kiko Casillas is going to go? You know, all of these yeah, various yeah. things going on. How are you feeling? Are you struggling? 
Yeah, a bit. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm never a big fan of the transfer window and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I just find it all a bit boring and tiresome. But, um, but I am pleased that Rodrigo will fit into the Pablo Hernandez song to replace Kiko Casilla. That's my main, <laughs> my main takeaway. Um, you know, I suppose you can think twenty nine, oh, twenty nine or thirty million for a twenty nine year old's a bit spendy, but you know, whatever. If if he if he's if he can stay injury free, I think he's had he had a quite broken up season last year with injuries, didn't he? If he can stay injury free this coming year, then then I don't see any reason why he can't, you know, be a really good addition to the squad. In terms of play, other players coming in, just get it done. I'm I'm a bit bored of it all now. How about you, Tom? I suspect you have a very pragmatic approach to all of this. Yeah, well, it it definitely gets dull, doesn't it? I mean, it's been quite. It's been quite an interesting few days because I don't think Rodrigo was really on most Leeds fans' radars three or four days ago, was he? Um, it's all happened quite quickly, um, which does give the slight sort of a horror pangs of the JKA situation as well. <laughs> uh, that was all a bit kind of, oh, oh we, we'd never get this player, so we'll never try, but we've heard he might be available. Uh, it's almost the exact same thing that they're saying about Rodrigo, so hopefully it goes the other way. So let's start off by talking about the three R's, as I'm calling them. So Rodrigo, Robin Cock and Ryan Kent, who I think is probably going to be the the third and potentially final, um, at least senior signing that we make this summer. Um, so we, we've already talked about Rodrigo. I guess my, my take on it is, and Josh and I have been fairly pragmatic about this. You know, we've, we've said this is a 29-year-old who has had um, knee injuries in the past. He's been declining in terms of his underlying numbers in the last few years, but then he's been playing at Valencia, who have also been declining yeah. in terms of their numbers in the last few years. So it's hard to know um, what the what the overlap is going to be there. Um, obviously, a hugely exciting player to bring in. As a Spanish international, a player who no doubt everyone's watched the YouTube comps. Uh, he's very exciting to watch. He will add something that we don't have. There's no doubt about that. Um I guess the 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 issues that we have tried to highlight simply that um, it's it's a it's a high risk um, transfer strategy. You know, you're you're spending a lot of money on a player who is not going to um, accrue value. Um, if it goes well, it'll be fine because we'll stay in the Premier League. But if it doesn't go well, then we've um, lost a huge amount of money, and there won't be any way of palming him off. Really, I don't think on anyone else. The other thing to say is that this guy is on a hundred and twenty thousand pounds of euros a week um in at valencia which is a lot of money um i think i was looking through our wage st- structures and it's, it's hard to know what the wage structures are but i think the h- highest paid earner is surprise surprise jean kevin uh, about 66k per week so he's uh, in at valencia he's 120k per week so he's pretty much double that jk is about double double no i think he's a third higher than uh, our next sort of big earners. I think Jack Harrison is actually our third highest earner, which is um, which is certainly something to talk about. But um, that's 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 the issue. We've got most of our earners are below forty thousand. He's coming in three times higher than that. Um, we don't know what the ins and outs of it are going to be, um, how it's going to be structured. I suspect, given that Valencia are going through a fire sale at the moment, that and the, the reason they're going through a fire sale is because they need to get people off their wage bill. There's been a few people suggesting that potentially um, we could be, they could be subsidising the wage a little bit, but I suspect um, the deal that we're getting, because we're getting him, look, cut price, we're getting him, um, I mean, I don't know what it is, but around around 30,000 euros or so, so 25 million. Oh, this all sounds very familiar to those yeah. of us of a certain age, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Um, but, you know, that's half the that's half the price 
price that was being touted around by clubs like Atletico Madrid, who yeah. who wanted him, um, Barcelona wanted him as well. Um, so I suspect the deal is, you know, you can have him for half that price as long as you take him off our wage book. Um, that's a lot of money. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a high risk um, approach. If 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 he turns up and goes through preseason and busts his knee or something. That's a lot of money down the drain. If it works out, it's absolutely fabulous and he'll be a great player. And, you know, we've watched a lot of shite in the last 16 years, so we deserve a chance to watch something good. Um, so there you go. That, that's the balanced view, I think. Um, Tom, how are you feeling about Rodrigo in particular? Have you watched a few clips of him by now? Yeah, a few, uh, but it's hard to, especially a player like him who seems to play in various different roles and, and between the lines and between the definitions a little bit to an extent, it's mm. hard to get much of a, feel for what kind of player he is from from the kind of clips that you see on youtube because it's all the end or the beginning of something it's not you know you never see you know what he does over a period of five or ten minutes mm. which i think is the impression i get is that is that that's when you'll really see sort of the measure of the kind of player mm. he is yeah really interesting to see how he's going to fit into our system and really interesting to see what our system looks like in its evolved form in the in the Premier League certainly something we're going to be talking about a lot in the future but um obviously the the episode today is another one of our long in-depth stack scouting reports on a couple of our players we're going to be looking at Liam Cooper and Stuart Dallas so I want to rush through the 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 rest of these so I'll avoid talking too much about Rodrigo because I'm sure we'll have the chance to do that more in future um Darren Robin Koch Thoughts on him, uh, centre back from uh, from uh, SC Freiburg. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? Is it just simply a case of getting someone in who's competent and uh, and hoping that he'll he'll be fine? Yeah, very much so. I think I think that's absolutely what it is. I mean, hopefully, it'll be slightly better than than just competent. But um, mm. yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with that. He, he looks decent from the the bits that I've seen. Albeit, I've not seen huge amounts. And then Ryan Kent from Rangers, who's the the final one of those three R's. Uh, again, looks like we talked about this before, but it looks like they're bringing in a wide player with the ability to score goals and the ability to um, produce goals. So it seems as though in that in that sort of vein, we're, we're looking to um, sort of bulk up the goal production of our wide areas, which I think, given what happened last season, is a, is a completely valuable and valid way of of, of building a squad. Um, no no real thoughts on Ryan Kent. Anyone want to say anything on him? Just that Bielsa seems to be obsessed with him. From seems, <laughs> keeps going back to him as, as um, like like a dog that's buried a toy in the garden and wants to go dig it up again. Uh, and then beyond that, we've had the exciting news that we have signed Sam Greenwood from Arsenal, the uh, England under 18s striker. Um, again, I've not really I've not really watched anything of of him. Um, no doubt we will talk about him more in the future. And then heading the other way is um, well, I say the other way um, heading out of Elland Road is Rafa Mujica who has just signed a, a loan deal for the year at Real Oviedo I think I've not written it down I'm pretty sure it's Real Oviedo um, just one final thing of news um, Tom you've written down here the Lionel Messi situation obviously there's a there's some kind of legal dispute about whether or not he can um, cancel his own contract um, within the terms of that contract and you had some thoughts about this maybe bearing on the the Augustan situation yeah, well, as far as I can tell, the reasoning that he's using um, for the fact that he's still allowed to cancel his contract, as he was last season, um, he was allowed to cancel it apparently up until the end of May. Uh, and he's arguing that due to COVID and the exceptional circumstances, the season hasn't yet finished and so he should be allowed to cancel it now, um, which is essentially the same argument that uh, RB Leipzig are using to try and get us to 
cough up for uh, Jean Kevin. So, um, yeah, I, I can see this one moving through the courts a little bit faster than our trial. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's probably going to set a pre- precedent before we even get to court, I imagine. Yeah, that should be interesting. And um, obviously, we've we've just talked about the high risk strategy that we've had with Rodrigo. Um, obviously, the better we better off we get from from this JK situation, um, the less money we're going to spend there. So you know, the, there are quite a few things hanging over the the squad in general, which could go south very quickly. But yeah, I mean, obviously, regarding the Messi thing, it could just be a power play to try and get the president out, which is what mm. lots of people are suggesting. So Absolutely. it might never even get to court, but if it does, right. it could have implications for us. But just yeah. to be clear, this isn't us saying that we're definitely signing Messi, is it? We're, we're <laughs> not saying that at all. <laughs> Football Insider says that. Yeah, I can just imagine the the pieces that come out. It says John McKenzie on all stats, aren't we? He said this, and you know, once he got something right, so it must be true. <laughs> That'll go with me to my grave. The fact that I once said something that turned out to be correct. Right, let's move on to the the real talking points this week, which are the two players who we are going to focus on. Firstly, Liam Cooper, and then Stuart Dallas. Interesting players, I think. Um, and especially because, you know, in terms of thinking of their career, neither of them really seemed that nailed on in terms of Leeds careers until the last couple of years when, when Marcelo Bielsa almost salvaged the, those careers. Um, we'll start with Liam Cooper. I spent a bit of time today watching some clips of Liam Cooper from from the the Dark Ages, so before... Before before Christ, before Marcelo Bielsa arrived, um, the BC BC Liam Cooper, and uh, yeah, it was it was fun a fun thing to do, but just remarkable really that he's been at the club since two thousand and fourteen. Um, I think he, I think I'm right in saying he's the longest serving member on the squad. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I think so. I think it was Berardi before. So it depends whether you count sure. Berardi as still being under contract. Oh, that's a good I point. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I only count players with knees. So <laughs> <laughs> that is so harsh, isn't it? I really apologise. It's pretty harsh. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love Berardi, and um, I wish him all the best. And I will still have those fond memories of him getting sent off in the semi-final of the playoff. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's not that's not my favourite Berardi sending off. My favourite is the first one with the with the skies kick around someone's midriff in a, in a meaningless <laughs> cup game. Just for the record, yeah. <laughs> it's weird, wasn't it, with the, that Sampdoria put out that video of like clips of, of him <laughs> kicking the shit out of people. In there, so. It was like a snuff film, wasn't it? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was almost as though they were going to announce him as like a member of the coaching staff or something, but then nothing really happened. It was just sort of, there was sort of like it was, it was sort of like a joke without a punchline in many respects. I don't know whether or not he's going to go back to Italy and and do something there. But Liam Cooper, then I, I would, the reason I was talking about how long his career is is that we some of the questions we've asked is sort of memories of of Liam Cooper and memories of Stuart Dallas early on, and you know it's it's hard to it's hard to even think of when they arrived because they weren't. I don't don't think of either of them as being particularly solid first team players from the off, um, and so it's it's quite an interesting process going through and and talking about them. But we'll we'll just run through Liam Cooper's career. Um, but and again, both of these players have had fairly unremarkable careers in in a lot of senses. Um, Liam Cooper obviously starts off at Hull City. He's from Hull um, and went through their youth system and. Interestingly, we've. I know that Darren and I have got a few fun facts. Darren, do you want to give us your fun fact for 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 Liam Cooper? So, what, what's yours? Fun fact: Despite being nicknamed League One Liam for almost his entire time at Leeds, Liam Cooper has actually only played eleven games in League One in his entire career. 
And a lot of those weren't actually even with Leeds, were they? No, they were. They were with uh, Chesterfield, mm. um, and yeah, I think Chesterfield and maybe Huddersfield. I think it was mm. six, six and four. So my fun, I've got a couple of fun facts. So my fun facts are one that Liam Cooper, Liam Cooper, League One Liam is actually one of our few players with Premier League experience. Um, and my other fun fact is um, that in one of his two, in fact, the first of his two Premier League starts. Um, the first of those was a six-one defeat by Liverpool. So that's that's a that's a scary one, isn't it? You know, with our first game back being against Liverpool. So basically, what I'm saying is, you know, the first two of the first three Premier League appearances that he had were six-one defeats by Liverpool. So. But that wasn't even good, Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are we doubling it? Is it twelve what twelve two or something? That's something. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, he starts off at Hull City and, and obviously at the time Hull City are in the Premier League and he get that's when he gets those two appearances. Um and he sort of has a checkered history there. He he goes off on loan to Carlisle United, he goes off on loan to Huddersfield Town. Um and ne- neither of those two loan spells are particularly productive for him. He goes for a pretty much the second half of this uh, I think the first half of the season to Huddersfield and only gets four appearances and uh, ends up going off to Chesterfield on loan uh, and then is bought out fully by Chesterfield he ends up having ha- ends up having 61 appearances for Chesterfield um and then uh, yeah moves moves to Leeds United in 2014 for a cut price um value of I'm just trying to find it here uh where are we um between an undisclosed fee reported to be between 500,000 and 750,000, which is not too bad. Um, and he makes his debut on the 16th of August, helping Leeds keep a clean sheet in a 1-0 victory against Middlesbrough after a late goal by Billy Sharp, which must have been one of the few goals he actually scored for us. I remember that game very well, actually. Yeah, Billy Sharp, one of those players who scored a lot more goals against us than he ever did for us, um, yeah. which is... Like Billy Painter as well. It's it's one of the most enduring chants that I remember coming out of the ground. Everyone just singing, oh, Billy, 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 Billy Sharp, all the way down Lowfields Road the entire way out. I don't know why we <laughs> so, lo- we loved him so much that one night and that one night only. <laughs> yeah, well, we're fickle creatures, aren't we? Um, I, I've got, I, I, scour- I scoured Cooper's Wikipedia page for some interesting stories. I'll admit there was, it wasn't great fun reading, but... Um, I did like that after an injury to Stephen Warnock, Cooper was named as captain. This is a long way back. I think this is 2015. Yeah, back in 2015. He was named as a captain in league's FA Cup 1-0 defeat against Sunderland with Neil Redfern describing him as a natural leader. And I just love that phrase, a natural leader, as though they're sort of like learned leaders and natural leaders. And Cooper was just straight in at the top. He didn't he didn't need to go to any of those seminars on how to be a leader. Um, and to be fair to him, he's been in and out of the captaincy. And I don't think anyone would begrudge him the captain, captaincy now. So um, that's obviously all worked out well in the end. Um, the other fun story was that in April 2017, Cooper was given a six-match ban after pleading guilty to stamping on Reading's defender Reese Oxford, which is something I completely forgotten about. I don't know if either of you have remembered that. No, not yeah, at all. I blanked that one out. I actually looked through some of his performances early on, and he got a lot of red cards, or at least disciplinary um, suspensions. Mm. Um, in fact, he missed. I think he probably missed more games in his early seasons to um, 
to suspension than he did to injury. Uh, but we'll talk about injuries later. Anyway, I've talked way too much so far. So over to you guys. So first question, um, what's your first memory of Liam Cooper? Do you have one? Um, or is he just someone who really has just always been there? Like the, uh, the cogito ergo sum of Descartes just hanging around in your consciousness. <laughs> I, I remember his debut very clearly, actually. Um, like Tom, I remember that game against Middlesbrough. Um, and I suppose it was one of those things where you kind of got early Liam Cooper in microcosm in the first first half of that game. So there was a point at which, you know, he took the ball down, uh, looked for a pass and found a beautiful, you know, kind of floated pass in, into the midfield. Um and then a couple of minutes later, he tried to dribble through three players and put us absolutely bang in trouble, um, and 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 probably threw himself rashly at someone trying to trying to get the ball back. And that that kind of is 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 kind of what all of my early memories of Liam Cooper are like. Sort of um, going from doing something really good, really impressive, to something absolutely idiotic within the space of minutes. My earliest memory is really the way that we went about signing him. It was a sort of early and relatively sober example of Chilino's fickleness that we we come to see later. Uh, Chilino, I remember we played Chesterfield in a preseason fr- friendly and Chilino liked the look of him, um, made a, a derisory bid and made another bid that they, they weren't happy with at all. And then, and then basically said, ah, it's over. I, no, we're not <laughs> signing this guy. Like uh, he, 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 he just decided that, um, yeah, so yeah, I think we actually put a statement out saying we're not signing this guy. We it's a weird thing to do. And then yeah, we signed him about twelve days later. So it was it was you know a good little Chilino parable. Um, but yeah, I, I remember the same things as Darren. Really, um, uh, his inconsistency was his major problem, which is mm. weird because I actually consider his consistency to be one of his major strengths now. Yeah, and at the risk of stepping on the toes of uh, the square ball with impressions of previous owners, <laughs> what what a terrifying recruitment plan we used to have, eh? Which was, you know, saw him play against us once in a friendly. I mean, to be fair, yeah. that's that brought us Ben White as well, isn't yeah. it? But it's, um, it's a weird one with Chilino because he's obviously a, an absolute idiot, and and you shouldn't be using that as your recruitment plan. But I don't think he's completely ignorant about football, so. It was it was it was it was actually like having a like a crazed football fan in charge of the club. I don't know who was the manager of Ch- uh, Chesterfield at this point in time, but I'm pretty sure Paul Cook was the Chesterfield manager. Um, he was, during, I think, yeah, yeah, during Cooper's time there. Um, and Paul Cook is a very good manager, so um, I, I wonder. You know, he's he's clearly a, a player who responds well to good management. Um, so I wonder whether or not there's there's something in that. But uh, again, that's very speculative. Um, Let's talk about let's talk about favorite memories then. Um, Tom, we'll start with you. What's your what's your favorite uh, Cooper memory? Well, it's it's a stupid small one really, but um, because he's so consistent, I don't really have that many. Um, I don't yeah I don't have that I don't have that many individual memories about him. But I remember really really fondly in the the, the Stoke game post lockdown uh, before a corner, everyone was just kind of huddling around as players do before corners, and he just smacks. James Chester in the balls with the back of his hand like just kind of like really subtly just kind of does it not hard because because you know Chester doesn't even look annoyed about it or anything but but and, and then and then you've got Luke Ayling of all people coming in like saying oh, just calm down stop being so fucking stupid and, and, and you would imagine those roles should be reversed right it should be Ayling doing the ball slap and um 
uh, Cooper coming in to admonish him. But oh. I, I, so I quite liked the sort of uh, the bizarro nature of that. You wrote a brilliant piece about that, didn't you? Didn't you, Tom? Was... I, well, yeah, I basically wrote my entire piece after that game about the ball slap. So yeah, it was, it was I remember amazing. it so well, maybe. Yeah. You remember it fondly, right? <laughs> um, anyway, before we get accused of promoting sexual harassment, let's move on to, to Darren. Um, what's your favourite memory, memory of uh, Cooper? It's the trophy lift at the end of this season. Um, mm. I'll, I'll remember that, that moment forever. But if you'd have come to me two years ago and told me that Liam Cooper would be lifting the championship trophy, which we'd won by 10 points um, at the end of this season, I would have I would have thought you were an absolute idiot. And it turns out it's me that's the absolute idiot. Um, and, and yeah, he'll, he'll be, he'll be there right in the center of that, that memory for, you know, for always. It's incredible. Who did it better though? Was it Bielsa or, or Cooper with the trophy lift? Oh, Bielsa. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Bielsa's half trophy list. It's, well, it's almost the other way around. Like, Bielsa needed managing through the trophy lift in the way that he needed to, <laughs> needed to manage the team through the season. Yeah, Bielsa didn't lift the trophy. The trophy lifted him or something. <laughs> yeah, Tom, you said as well, there's a, a more serious point about thinking about favourite memories of, of Cooper. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, his his consistency under Bielsa is the thing that I admire the most. So that's why it makes it so difficult to single out individual moments um, there are a couple of individual moments where he's made mistakes, but it's, it feels unfair to single them out. I've, I've done a few. I've done a few media things just for the the usual rounds of people being like, "Oh, you know, Leeds are in the Premier League. We better talk to someone who actually has followed them in the Championship." Because I've never watched that league before. So, uh, and one of the questions you always get asked is, "Oh, which players do you look out for?" And I, uh, it's it's sort of a funny one, isn't it? Because like. On the Leeds team, like who do you, um, yeah, we've got a few players who you can be like, you know, they're fun to watch. Obviously, Pablo is is fun to watch, but so much of it comes from the system. And um, I think again, with, especially in the, with the defenders, and and this is something that's so interesting about Cooper. I think is that he 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 obviously had that moniker of being League One Liam, um, and uh, the system that Bielsa brought in just completely transformed him as a as a player and we'll talk about this more in the scouting section probably but I, I find it just so fascinating that a system can have such an impact on um, a way pl- a player performs that that you find it hard to to judge them and I think with someone like Cooper you only need to watch him playing in the Scotland setup to realize how how much that system works so well for him um, we'll talk about the why the system works for him in the in the final section but I do think that's a really fascinating aspect to to, to Liam Cooper the fact that he is such a system um, heavy guy I agree with that John but I also think that who is who he's played alongside this year has really helped or who he hasn't played alongside actually in fact because I think that under uh, when when he was playing alongside Jansen, I still think he had that capacity to make horrendous mistakes, and I, I think it was partly to do with the, the partnership rather than, mm. and and I think the partnership with White worked so much more effectively. Um, it, it really lifted both of them up. I would say though, I, I would say though, um, John, you were saying earlier about uh, under Paul Cook, he might have had a manager who was, um, you know, telling him a bit more what to do, the same as Bielsa, and the manager I do remember him looking the most hapless under and I, this, this could be wrong would be Christiansen who I actually I enjoyed Christiansen's reign because he seemed like a nice bloke and we were playing attacking football uh, at least uh, and and it could be aesthetically pleasing at times but you never got the impression that he was really telling the players what to do beyond go out and try and play good football and it, it, Cooper yeah he didn't seem to thrive under that kind of environment 
I've just watched a few games actually of that Christensen spell. I watched the um, the Bolton game very early. In fact, it was the first game of the it season. It was the first one, yeah. 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 And I don't know. I think a lot of people say, you know, Christensen was trying to get us to play good football. Um, and I wonder how many people would actually agree with that if they went back and watched what we were trying to do. Um, maybe maybe it was sort of quite expansive football in terms of being quite compact in defense and then and then sort of trying to decompress very quickly down wide areas um but i got the impression that that defensively we sort of sat very deep and and invited people to come at us which i think probably worked quite well for for cooper i think cooper's issue is when you play a high line and get it behind him and i mean we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit he's 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 a sort of player who if you get the ball over his head and he has to respond to that there's plenty of examples of that in um i think the the, the brent i think potentially the brentford game um at the end of last season and obviously the um uh the semi-final uh, against um, Derby, the, those sorts of things, but it was just sort of a bit more chaotic, and it was there's no, there's clearly no um, team. This is against, uh, this is under Christiansen. It's clearly sort of every man for themselves. Sit, sit sort of deepish and fling yourselves at, at players who look like they're about to shoot. Um, and I think in those in those sorts of situations, I generally think Cooper's quite good. I think Cooper's probably quite a good defender in terms of touch tight one-to-one stuff which is why I think he works really well in the in the Bielsa system um it's it's when you start having to think about positioning and think about marking in advance and then have players running at you that I think he becomes a little bit more flaky but um we're at the we're at risk of skipping out the um the 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 final question in this section which is um the best game that he's had in a lead shirt so I wondered Darren what you've got down as your best game for Cooper in a lead shirt yeah, I found this quite quite tricky for for some similar reasons, really, and that that he he has been really consistent, particularly in this last season. But I think I would pick out either the Swansea away game at the end of this season or the Barnsley home game at the end of this season. I thought he was magnificent in both, but I'd probably give it to the Swansea one, where um, hmm. where yeah, we didn't really give any chances away, and it was a very attritional and tight game. But but um, he was a big part of the reason why we didn't actually give very many chances away at all. Again, yeah, it was hard to pick, and both of those that Darren mentioned were were really great games. Um, the one I've gone for was the uh, the one all draw with Brentford when we halted our bad run, uh, and and Cooper did score that our goal in that game, which is not a very good reason for it to be his best game, but um, he also played a massive part in making sure the team didn't crumble. And I'm, I, did he actually play the pass that um, Kiko miscontrolled? I can't remember. It would make sense because it was yeah, from it was the, from, from that right side, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so so, it, it, and if that is the case, which I I should have checked really, um, that's even even you know even more of a great performance to not let that get to him. Uh, interestingly, you mentioned him scoring a goal. He he actually scores quite a few goals for us, um, and he's probably one of the more dangerous players we've got on our team, which is again saying a lot. But let's move on to talk about um, the the scouting section of the of, uh, of Liam Cooper, looking at a little bit more about the way he plays. So I'll just do a quick stats. Um, roundup. We've uh, I've got um, some of his data in front of me. Very impressive season from him. Um, I, I was going to say like, at the end of this season, I'm, I can't. I'm struggling to even think of many mistakes that he made this season. Like proper proper howlers. Me. I think he passed. Probably did he pass the ball? Did he pass the ball in the Cardiff game? Which w- was then. It, yeah, he did. It was. It was on. Yeah, where he tried to pass it out. No, no, he tried to pass it out oh. to Alioski's right foot. Um, and right. somebody came in and nicked the ball off his toe. Both of them were mistakes. The first one was Phillips. The second one was 
Cooper, I think. I think he's he's given away a penalty or two as well, hasn't he? But if you compare to the season before, he's got even yeah. better because there were yeah. obvious, obvious mistakes in the season before. Whereas this season, I just that's that's always been my criticism of him under Bielsa has been that yeah, well you know he's a great he's been a great player, fits in the system beautifully, but he always has a mistake in him, and it's getting to a point at the end of this season where he doesn't even have a mistake in him. Now, obviously things are going to change in the Premier League and I, I add that as a caveat before I'm made to eat my words. But this season in the Championship, he's been absolutely um, consistent, like you said. Um, but let's just run through his stats. So in terms of the defensive side of the game, he's um, he's made 1.7 tackles per game at a tackle success rate of 68%, which is well above the the average for the top five leagues. Um, he His weakness, I suppose, defensively is, is being dribbled past. So he gets dribbled past 0.7 um, times a game, which is not a particularly good um, t- um, return of investment, really, from him. Um, and he does commit, um, uh, he's pre- but he's pretty good at not committing fouls as well. Although I think this is quite interesting because he he does um, he he obviously does mark mark touch tight, and Leeds have this sort of man oriented marking system, which encourages um, players to to track their their, their men. And I was, I've watched a little bit of the Swansea game recently just to get some clips for what Robin Koch can do well in um, why he could do well replacing Ben White. And both Cooper and and White were just tracking their respective forwards into like almost well often into the opposition half. So um, Ben White was tracking Rian Brewster and. Um, Cooper was tracking Andre Ayew really, really deep. That's because they were dropping deep, but the, that man-marking system works so extensively that you'll see that happening. Um, obviously, Leeds players, are, as a result of that, are really good at interceptions, and um, Cooper is no different. So 1.2 interceptions per game and uh, 8.3 pressures as well, which is very high. Um, he does lose possession a bit. Um, he's not the strongest ball player um, ever, but actually, when it comes to when it comes to dribbles, he's not bad. He does 0.3 dribbles per game. Uh, he gets 1.9 touches in the box, obviously because he's um, taking. He's he's very strong from corners, so he's a, a dangerous set piece player as well. Um, he, and as a result of that, you know, he, well, because of his height and his aerial ability, he won 4.6 aerials this season at a success rate of 63%. Uh, and then the other thing is, um, in terms of how he is on the ball, um, we know that he's a good long passer. He takes 9.8 long passes uh, per game. He's obviously the long ball outlet in the back two this season, where Ben White would dribble more. Um, uh, the ball is often siphoned through to to um, Cooper and he'll play it long. His long pass accuracy is 56%, which is a little bit below the league, uh, the top five average, but um, he is that out ball. Um, he's also pretty good at forward passing. His forward pass accuracy is 73% um, and he doesn't dribble out of his own half very much. So he's only got 6.8 own half exits per game so that's the the ta- the, the the stats side of things um, tells us a lot of things that we already know he's good in the air he's a strong uh, one-on-one defender in terms of uh, touch tight defending front um, front foot defense um, maybe a little bit more um, susceptible to being run out by players or balls in behind and he's a very good passer of the ball right let's talk about him then in terms of the scouting side of things in terms of the eye test and, and what we think his strengths are so Tom what have you got down as um as as his strong suit in terms of uh, in terms of how you watch him play. Yeah, I think uh, those long diagonal passes from the back um, are what you think of as when you just consider his style. I think in general he's a very well-rounded player and doesn't have many huge weaknesses apart from as we mentioned earlier uh, being dribbled at. Um, he's 
I consider him a bit like the sort of the Patrick Bamford of our defense um, in that he's not really terrible at anything and he does most things, most things quite well. Um, and I think, I, I think it's quite notable that there was a game. Um, I can't remember if it was this season or last season, but um, Cooper got a head injury on about 35, 36 minutes. And I was screaming. I think it was in a way I was screaming at the TV to, you know, get him off. Like, we can't piss about with, with, with 10 men, but Bielsa uh, opted to get get it sorted and get stitches put in, which basically put us down to 10, 10 men for like the rest of the half. It was like 10, 15 minutes uh, down to 10 men. Um, and I think that really speaks volumes as to how much Bielsa rates him. Yeah, Darren, what did you think of Cooper's um, playing strengths? Yeah, I agree with Tom. I mean, that, that long ball is the obvious one, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I guess that if you kind of looked at his percentages for the number of time he finds that pass, they're probably... Um, aren't that amazing but it is a good weapon and it is something that the other teams always have to be aware of I think aerially is much better than we gave him credit for when when Pontus Janssen was around because Pontus Janssen was so good in the air um, but but I think Cooper you know he is really strong in the air for someone who's relatively short for a centre-back I think he's I think he's 6'1 um, I think the other the other things that I'd talk about really would be more in terms of him as a person because I think he's got a lot of he's got a lot of strengths and qualities as a person one of which is that you know given all the criticism that he's had during his time at Leeds and and um that you know the mistakes that he's made I really have to fully admire his resilience and his determination and the work that he's put into improving so he's he's definitely matured a lot in the last three seasons he seems to become less rash and less likely to get a, a daft booking or a sending off with each passing year he seems to make better decisions about when to engage in a challenge and when to hold the attacker up or push them push them wide, perhaps given you know some of his weaknesses around being dribbled around um and I think he because of the system he definitely defends more proactively than he used to, and we don't need him to be doing quite so much last ditch defending, so I think he looks he looks kind of classier uh, in in the way that he goes about his work so yeah I think he's he's definitely the the most improved player. Uh, for me, in in the Bielsa reign, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that um, Darren mentions about his personality because and, and his determination. Because I was having a conversation with a mate of mine a while back um, about Cooper as the captain and the fact that the players chose him and stuff. And it makes perfect sense because if you were locked outside of your flat, like or your house at like three a.m. and you know the locksmiths don't open till seven, and you had a f- all you had was a list of the phone numbers of every Leeds United player, <laughs> who would you call? You'd call Liam Cooper, wouldn't you? He'd be the one who'd come through for you in a crisis. He'd be the one who, no questions asked, he'd say, "Yep, you can have the bed. I'll sleep on the sofa." And th- that's, uh, I, I honestly, I honestly, I genuinely think he's that kind of person, like that that people will want to play for him and, and want him to be captain because you know he's got your back. No, I think you're absolutely right about that, Tom, but I'd call Pablo because he'd get the door open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd call Alioski because it would be a good laugh, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd be in through the bathroom window before he could say anything. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to add as well, you, you mentioned his aerial ability this season compared to last season, and one of the um, factors of the Bielsa system is that we play with, a, with one player over in defence, and I yeah. think that we played with 
Cooper as the player over in defence in the first season. And yeah. then we played with White as the player over in last season. And I think that's probably a reason why we saw more one more of Cooper's heading and two, why we saw less uh, defensive bloopers from, from Cooper this season too. Um, and I actually think with Robin Koch that when he comes in, he will be playing the white position, so we'll, we should see plenty of aerial ability from um, from uh, Cooper again this season. So quickly on to weaknesses, um, Darren. Yeah, I've got I've got two. One of which I've noted here, and the other one I haven't. Um, the the first one is that I think he just lacks a bit of pace, mm. um, and that he can he can be left to touch flat footed, um, and it, so he's a bit vulnerable in behind, as we've already talked about. The other thing is that I think he gets he gets quite a lot of chances from corners and from free kicks, and and actually I think his goal return is relatively slim for for the number of chances that he gets. He doesn't score many headers, or at least not this no, season, doesn't. where the goals that he has scored have been like belters from like various positions i remember last season uh who was it against was it against i want to say ipswich maybe we were in ipswich were in our team yeah i think he clonked one in from like miles out against ipswich but it's it's that sort of thing isn't it where you want him to be scoring those headers but um he's actually probably better off the floor uh, as well but uh and tom i don't think you really wanted to add much more to the weaknesses side of things i think darren's addressed it quite well there Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, so let's move on to Stuart Dallas, who is uh, another player with a, a fairly unremarkable career um, until he arrived at Leeds United. Um, he obviously was playing in in Northern Ireland for a while before he arrived at um at, in in the um, on the mainland of the United Kingdom, have to get that right, or Graham Smith will be on our back. I'm assuming that Crusaders are actually a Northern Irish team. They may well be a, an, a Republic of Ireland. Team. I think they are Northern Irish. Okay, cool. Just cover my back there. But obviously, the he, he plays quite well for them. He plays quite well for them in Europe as well. So um, they they have um, a, a European run where the, he um, sort of comes onto the radar of, of Brentford. Obviously, Brentford have uh, their fingers in many pies when it comes to transfer um, pots. So um, he ends up going to Brentford. Um, interestingly, Brentford at the time were managed by Uwe Rosler, um, who managed us. So I don't know whether or not he was the, behind us bringing him in. Was Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, yeah okay. So that makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, at Brentford, he had a fairly... Um, f- fairly um, productive time. He 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 did make sixty three um, appearances. He had a stint at Northampton Town on loan, um, 
And then he arrived at Leeds United in 2015 for a fee reported to be in the region of 1.3 million, which sounds like peanuts now, doesn't it? Um, uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting about him, and this is something that I've always um, uh, re- not not remembered, but it's something that I've, I've always found interesting, was that he was named the Players Player of the Year in 2015-16. Um, and I remember, I remember being amazed that he won it that season um yeah 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 and um i've always i've always sort of wondered uh, how that came about um at least he's made 176 appearances and he's obviously made appearances in for northern ireland as well um and he's in the the northern ireland squad something we didn't actually mention in the um the news section that we've got so many players called up for international duty but international football is a travesty anyway so we can move on quickly from i there. agree yeah. um so yeah, that's his his career so far. Obviously, the, the majority of his um, appearances so far have come for Leeds United. Uh, he's got more appearances at Leeds than he has anywhere else in in at least in terms of football leagues. Um, let's talk about the first memories because he's obviously arriving at 2015. You know, it's five years ago now. That's a long time. Um, Tom, first memories of of Stuart Dallas? Yeah, I don't really um, have any specific memories in terms of like things that he did on you know, spectacular things he did on the pitch. My main memory was that he seemed like a very hard worker for a winger. And he almost reminded me of um, the sort of defensive wingers that which were on vogue, in vogue, like, uh, I don't know, I guess in the late noughties or something, whether uh, Dirk Coit or Park Ji-sung, um, these players that would be almost played as an extra defender ahead of the main fullback. And he always sort of reminded me of that kind of player. And I always thought, if he's going to do really well, that's the kind of player that he'll end up becoming. Obviously, Marcelo Bielsa had other ideas. I also remember an early Bielsa game, which is not really an early Dallas memory because he'd been with us for a while then, but um, uh, we switched to a back three and he brought Dallas on as part of that and played him as a right wing back. um, And he really did change the game that day. Uh, Obviously not enough for me to remember who the game was against, but um, he did change it. This is the uh, interesting thing, isn't it, about pre and post Bielsa is that it almost feels like these are different players when we're talking about someone like Stuart Dallas before Bielsa and someone like Stuart Dallas afterwards. Same with Liam Cooper, I think. It's I have very specific memories of of, of Liam Cooper after Bielsa and Dallas after Bielsa arrives, but that there's no sort of correlation between the, the two periods at all. But um, Darren, what's your first memory of, of Stuart Dallas? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a, spe- a very specific first memory of him either, and I think it, it sort of speaks to my relationship with the club at that time as well. I wasn't quite as engaged as as I as I was previously. I wasn't getting down to the games as often, but I, I kind of carry a, a sensory memory of him really, which is just a kind of general sense of disappointment which hung around him like a dog's fart, you know, that kind of awful guff. Um, <laughs> but. I, I, I mean, up until this season, I, I, I'll be completely honest, I thought of him as a winger that couldn't cross, couldn't shoot, didn't get assists and didn't score goals. Um, but I think, to be fair, he has played in some pretty desperately bad teams in his time at Leeds. And, and I, you know, this this season has really transformed my opinion of him. I remember him coming on um, at home to Bolton last year, uh, the same game where Click um, poured water down someone's back. And we were really struggling to control the game. And, and I, w- I just remember being hugely disappointed that Bielsa's answer to that was to bring Dallas on. Um, <laughs> but, but his, um, you know, he's really kind of nailed a place down in, in, in mm. Bielsa's thinking this year and that's absolutely to his credit. Something that I was talking to you about, um, Darren, was that I think for me, Stuart Dallas represents 
my frustrations with the way that we deal with the squad at the moment. So I get frustrated at Dallas playing in central midfield because we don't have enough central midfielders. And I think that's probably, well, it certainly is unfair on him because it's not his responsibility to to be making sure the squad's okay. And if he's told to play in that position, he plays in that position. And, you know, we've not actually mentioned it yet, but obviously the thing about Dallas is that he is um, remarkably flexible and remarkably um, functional in, in a lot of different roles. And Bielsa clearly trusts him tactically he's he's clearly got some kind of um tactical nous uh, element to him positionally um and and i think we should should say that about him as well um let's talk about favorite memory so dan we'll start with you then what's your favorite memory yeah the the equalizer against luton um when when things looked like they might just start to fall apart a little bit in the running um i've never ever been so relieved to see a ball go over the line as i was when that one went in um I was watching it on my phone on a bench because I couldn't get home in time to watch it and I was sat in the middle of town with my phone watching watching the game and I started <laughs> jumping about and shouting like an idiot when that one went in. So pretty good memory. He's quite a big big game player really actually. We don't really talk yeah. about this but um, Darren, I know that your your memory is um, the, the goals in the Derby playoffs last year. I'm not Darren, but yes. Oh, sorry, it's, it's like <laughs> the other one. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that, they just really seem like Dallas was was the only, well not Dallas was definitely a player who didn't come out of that game with any sense of disgrace about him. He was our best performer in that game, and uh, it really seemed like he was trying to drag us over the finishing line. Um, obviously, unsuccessfully, but I, I have a, especially especially the first goal. It seemed like we're really on our way to the playoff final here, and those memories still remain, even though they ultimately turned out to be bollocks. <laughs> and so I'm guessing we're all going to agree that that was his best game in a lead shirt then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when when he scored that uh second goal, I think I think some on one of my social media accounts I promised that I would never ever say that Stuart Dallas was shit again. Um <laughs> and I think I've more or less managed to um to stick to that promise throughout the season. <laughs> Can't say fairer than that really. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought he had a really productive spell at the beginning of this season when he was playing at right back before Ailing came back. Um, he looked to just understand the position a bit more than he did when he was yeah. filling in the mm. season before um, and to know when to go and when to not go. Um, it was it was a it was always a weird one in in Bielsa's first season when he would play Dallas at right back and it always seemed like a massive compromise. Uh, it doesn't feel like a compromise anymore. Yeah, and we should say that that 10-game winning streak or whatever it was not 10 game winning streak but 10 game streak at the beginning of the season um, was probably the best that we played this season and that was with Stuart Dallas in the right back position a lot of people forgot that Luke Ayling was injured for the first 10 games of the season um, right let's go and talk about, about the um, the scouting side then um, firstly the the stats stuff and again I think fairly impressive um, production from from Dallas this season Um Interestingly, wins a lot of fouls. Um, I, I, I didn't expect him to be quite so high in the fouls one. So he's winning at 1.5 fouls per 90 minutes. Um, defensively, he's sort of hit, hit and miss, makes two tackles um, a game, at a success rate of 61%. That's sort of around average, below average. Doesn't make a huge amount of, of interceptions, doesn't make a huge amount of pressures, weirdly, for someone who plays defensively and central midfield for, for a Bielsa side. But... Um, 
going forward actually quite impressive so he own half exits 6.9 per game passes received in the opposition half 22.3 final third entries 6.9 per game and possessions lost in own half um, 3.1 so doing quite well there as well so um, all of those are, are enough to put him well above the the median for for the um, for the top five leagues um, he's also very good at getting into the box he takes 3.7 touches in the box per game and he um, puts up 0.14 expected goals per per game as well so he's he definitely gets himself into dangerous positions and as, as we've said he scored some important goals for us this season um, and is very much I think a big match player really or he's certainly a, a, someone who thrives well under pressure I would say um, in terms of providing a little less so he's got 0.08 expected assists um, which is just above sort of the mid, the, the midline for, for the top five leagues crossing accuracy is awful so we won't talk about that uh, he doesn't win many aerials and he doesn't dribble very much but um, what I would say is that looking at his stats this season I suppose I I don't really think of him as being a particularly attacking player, but it's very clear that he he um, is is creating chances, creating dangerous chances. He's offering himself up for the ball for his teammates in the final third and in the um, opposition half as well. So um, a real sign that that he is um, quite a productive player, even if he doesn't necessarily look that efficient. I think as well. Sorry that 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 uh, that high amount of touches in the box and XG is partly a function of him being a right-footed uh, fullback playing at left back, mm-hmm. which you don't yeah. often you don't yeah. often hear about the uh, advantages of that in the same way you do with wingers. You hear a lot about the disadvantages of playing with a, your wrong foot as a fullback, but it is possible to have advantages as well. And I think an increase increased goal threat is probably one of those. So let's talk about his uh, strengths then. So. Um... Tom, you've started off talking about his his footedness, so let's c- carry on with you. Um, what what do you see as being Dallas's? Um, actually, we'll start Dar- Darren because you disagreed with Darren. So let's start with Darren's um, first. And as we established earlier, John, I disagreed with myself in some ways there, but we'll come to that in a second. So I think in, in terms of Dallas's strengths, his pure running is pretty incredible, the, the kind of amount of uh, the, the yards that he seems to get through in a match. His positional versatility and willingness to put the team first um, has been pretty incredible this year, whether he's been playing in midfield, which we, we'll probably all have a problem with, or he's playing at right back where it looks relatively comfortable, or whether he's playing at our retirement home for underwhelming wingers, which is our left back position. <laughs> um, he, you know, he's, he's he's there, and he'll he'll give absolutely everything he's got to any position, and it's meant that he's got a lot more starts than I thought he would under Bielsa. Um, no matter what position he's playing, he'll push forward and add numbers to the attack and be there to receive the ball, as we kind of established through the stats there. And then the kind of controversial thing is that that. Um, I actually think he always looks pretty neat and tidy in possession. And I think to qualify that, what I mean is I think he, he's he got a decent first touch and I don't think it's any more than that, really. Um, so I'll let, let Tom argue with me now. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, I saw that in the running sheet and, and neat and tidy is, is, is never a, a phrase I'd really associate with Dallas because he always only looks half in control of it. Even his good passes only seem like half directed by him and half directed by some kind of... I don't know Northern Irish spirit. Um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I, I, I think his most impressive thing, as Darren touched upon, is uh, his tactical flexibility and the fact that he's willing to move anywhere and he'll often move move roles or ch- you know change positions uh, several times, like within the space of ten minutes, as Bielsa tries to find the right combinations. And he never moans about it; he just gets on with it and. 
a lot of the time when people talk about his versatility, I think they're sort of looking at it at a base level. He's played a load of games at left back. He's played a load of games at right back. He's played a load of games in central midfield, which in and of itself is impressive. But the really impressive thing is that he can do all three of those in one game without missing a beat. I think maybe to to mediate between between the the neat and tidy argument, I think what the way that I described it when we were talking about it before is that he plays within himself to a certain extent. I think he he knows what he has to do and he does he does it. He doesn't have delusions of grandeur apart from I, I I would say with when it comes to his shooting, we'll probably talk about that in his weaknesses. Um, but he's he's a player who I think doesn't doesn't. Um, suffer himself he he knows what he can do he knows what he has to do and he, he largely does that um in midfield I'm willing to be a little bit more critical um but again as I said you know the the reason he's playing in midfield is because a lot of the a lot of the time we have we have that weakness but we've seen some he's one of the most interesting tactical players that we've seen this season for sure mm. and mm. we've even seen um I'm tempted to write a piece on this actually, but uh, I was watching the RB Leipzig game against Atletico Madrid when they beat them in the knockouts of the Champions League and um, RB Leipzig in that game, Nagelsmann played a 3-3-1-3 with uh, Conrad Leimer, who's a right back playing in central midfield as well. And we've seen something very similar happen with, with Dallas this season, which is that he plays in a sort of central midfield position and then we'll we'll move out into other positions um in various phases of the game um and i think that bielsa bielsa clearly loves him because he is able to do that he is able to say to him right you're going to play as a sort of inverted right wing back and and then in the defensive phase you're going to be tracking this man and this man will sometimes move into the left back area and so you'll follow him there and uh, we saw that happen a, a, quite a lot against stoke where he's following sam Klukas into the left back area and everyone that yeah. game everyone was like what on earth is is dallas doing but you know there is there is reason um behind the madness and um i i don't think there's many other players in the squad who would be able to do that sort of tactically flexible role. Yeah, I think it's really interesting as well that Bielsa apparently picked picked these two players, Dallas and Cooper, out before he joined and said that he would develop them into into two of the best players in the league. I think that was in the Angus Kinnear interview with the Square Ball. So mm. I think you're absolutely I think you're absolutely right. That that kind of willingness to to and and tactical awareness is is absolutely a, a key thing, isn't it, with him? Let's move on to his weaknesses then. Um We've already mentioned the, the shooting side of things, and I know Tom that you have some thoughts about. You were at least thinking about his 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 shooting um, when we talked earlier. You've not written it on the on the running order, but I think it's worth having a chat about. What's your thinking on him in terms of the shooting? It's not a controversial opinion to say that Dallas shoots too often from outside the box, and is <laughs> he he often feels like the kind of logical conclusion of what people in the stands want like when they're just trying just have a fucking shot <laughs> like and and it's almost like he's got a sort of direct line to those people um <laughs> sometimes he'll, he'll just shoot whenever but I, I i my little pet theory that i've been trying to prove with stats this afternoon to no avail because uh, i couldn't get the right sort of um data to hand was uh was that he's our best finisher of very very good chances and uh i mean like uh, for example, the Stoke chance earlier in the season yeah. with that beautiful pass by Pablo. The um, another beautiful pass when when Pablo nutmegged a player in the mm. uh, which which game was Stoke it? Stoke as well, I think. Yeah, it was yeah, Stoke again. Yeah, was. so maybe he's just good at scoring against Stoke. <laughs> Stoke but uh, yeah, um, I, I, I whenever we get one of those, he gets one of those chances that's you know about eight or nine yards out and and you feel like he should score it. He usually does seem to score it. This again, it's completely anecdotal. It might it might not be true. I think we we looked at his shot map before, and I think it's quite clear that 
His he, he scored, I think, three three of his five goals were from good chances, um, and he had maybe another couple of good chances that he missed. So he's like sixty percent on his good chances is pretty decent. And then he scored another couple from distance. And we talked about it before. Um, the, the one of them was the game, goal against Preston North End, where it was a big deflection. Um, that was one of the long distance goals. And so, yeah, I think he is a player who um, who takes long shots. But again, we were talking earlier, and I was saying that you know it's good to have a player. I think who does take long shots because it just destabilizes a, the opposition defense a little bit more when they have to be aware of the fact that um, a player can be taking shots from distance. You can't simply assume that they're going to um, try and break it through your line. So someone has to close them down, and it just gives a little bit more of an edge, I think, and a little bit more of a. Um, I, it just makes things a little bit different. There, there's more things for the defenders to consider than they would have to if they just knew that he was going to do the same thing every time. Um, Darren, what about you on his um, on his weaknesses? I know you're going to have a you've got a long list. I've got it in front of me. Uh, I've only got two. It's two things really, but but yeah, you can break it down as much as you want. But but the first <laughs> thing is it, it's his uh, his crossing, which which is absolutely woeful. And and when I kind of think about Dallas crossing in my mind's eye. The crosses always seem to be going at about shin height and to get cut out by the first or second defender that the ball probably comes Probably shots to. as well. They could well be They're shots, we don't shots. know. Well, absolutely true. But the, the good thing is that the Peacock get a good supply of footballs for their pub team because uh, <laughs> it clears the south stand with those quite often. Um, I think defensively is a little bit suspect positionally, which seems to be more noticeable in midfield. He kind of gets moved around a bit more in midfield. But I think teams can definitely expose him at, um, at fullback too. And I think the more defending we have to do, the worse Dallas looks. And, and the, the kind of the, the first game that springs to mind when I think about that is is the kind of defensive actions that we had to do against Barnsley when Dallas looked pretty awful in that in that home game uh, there. Um, but yeah, I think luckily we've not had to spend too much time defending in the last two years, so he's looked pretty good by and large. It'll be interesting though to see how that dynamic changes now that we're in the Premier League, whether Dallas will remain the key player that he's been or whether those weaknesses that Darren mentions would be shown up more by good Premier League attacks and he might have mm. to play a more peripheral or, or possibly more specialised role like where he's used when Bielsa wants to do a specific tactical thing. Do we think he's going to be the first choice left back next season? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past Bielsa to go back to Douglas again because he's, 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 he's wanted Douglas at, at the start of both of his seasons. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's going to depend on preseason performances. I, I wouldn't be surprised by either Dallas or Douglas starting if we don't sign anyone. I can't see him starting with Alioski in the, in, against Liverpool. No, he certainly won't. But let's not forget that we currently only have one starting centre back, and the, the, the beginning of the season is about two weeks away, and so. Um, the odds of whoever we bring in being slotted straight into the team. Are you suggesting that Dallas yeah. is going to play at centre-back? I'm suggesting that Luke Ayling <laughs> may well play at centre-back and as a result of that, Dallas will go into right-back and then Douglas That's will true. play at left-back. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't That's have any point. problems with Douglas playing at, in the Premier League so much because I think he's he's a little bit more defensive. Uh, we know, we don't need to really think about, worry about tr- transition quite so much. And he also played quite well against Arsenal, which I know, the, I know the, uh, the caveat is always, well, you shouldn't read too much out of an FA cup game, but it was a fairly full strength Arsenal side. And I thought he gave a fairly good account of himself. So I wouldn't have a problem with Douglas starting a left back. I broadly agree with that, to be honest. 
I just worry about his pace up against Salah, uh, Mane, and and Co. That's the only thing I just worry about him getting exposed in that way. But but do you not worry about any one of our left backs in that mm. situation? Yeah. yeah, I worry about our entire team getting, <laughs> getting exposed. He's playing in that Jack way. Harrison at left back. We should play we? Leaf Davis there. He's quick enough. <laughs> Don't get it started. We'll have we'll have all the people in our mentions. Um, very good. That brings us to the end of the podcast. It's been great fun chatting to you guys about, about Liam Cooper and Stuart Dallas. I'm not sure what we're going to do next week. We potentially could do one more of these in the in a bid to try and get Adam Forshaw in there. We could just force <laughs> Adam Forshaw in and then give you the choice of the final uh, player to talk about. Can we do Forshaw and Meslier? Yeah, I thought about that. We, sh- we should do that, maybe. Maybe we maybe we don't have a vote. We just, we just authoritarily... Just <laughs> do what say, we yeah, want. Do what we want. It's our choice. <laughs> it's our party and we'll cry if we want to. If you do enjoy this podcast, do like and uh, subscribe and do the other thing you're supposed to do. Review, I think it is. Review. Um, because that should help us. Um, so head, head over to Apple Podcasts and do it there or do it on whatever your podcast aggregator is. That would be really great. And if you really like the stuff that we put out, we do have a Patreon channel where we put a lot of bonus material out. I have just put a long Robin Koch scouting report out and I am going to do a Rodrigo one this weekend although I think I might just put that one out as free to read because it's an exciting time for us as a club if you are interested in joining our Patreon head over to patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and have a look at what's over there and see, see what's going on there's plenty of stuff for you to look at three people who have just done that and signed up recently are Andy Partington, Vid Serdich, and Stan. So thank you, guys. It's good to have you on board. And with that, there's nothing left for me to do other than say thank you, Darren. Thank you very much. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And we'll see you next week with, hopefully, three new signings, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> it's not too much to ask, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.